prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. That's what this is, you know. Satanic black magic. Sick shit. Welcome to another spooky, creepy, uh, haunted episode. <laughs> of gutter boys gutter boys is a small press podcast about the ins the outs the highs and the deep endless lows of making comics i'm your host jb with my co-host cam and today we are going to be joined by a special guest caroline cash bang 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 cactus cash (laughs) uh yeah so uh cash this jack we could really mine that for a while, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah. I think that's it, though. Those are the two. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, before we get into that interview, we're going to go ahead and get into some comic news, which I know you all just absolutely love and need in your life. So. Yeah, we actually got a lot of comic news recommended to us on our Instagram. So thanks if you suggested something. We might have pulled a couple of things from that list. So, but we, we're not going to do it all. So shout out to anybody that did recommend things, though. We appreciate you interacting with us. Hell yeah. If we don't cover anything that you mentioned or brought to our attention, it's because we hate you. So yeah. never, never message us again. It sucks. Yeah, you we, suck yeah. too. Yeah. 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 No. So moving on, let's see what's happened in comics this week. We should probably talk about your review of Rorschach by Tom King. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So spoilers ahead for uh, Tom King's new epic Rorschach over at DC Black Label. Real quick, I don't really have anything remarkable to say. I did think the art was okay, mainly because it wasn't done in that like super over rendered, trying to be realistic over the top way. You could tell that someone drew it, which is always like a plus for me, especially at the big two. I think that's kind of sad, like that, you know, a comic stands out because it looks like someone actually like drew it with style. But, uh, that's what I could say about the art as far as like story wise I guess it was a departure for Tom King because it wasn't about like internal trauma you know it doesn't seem like Rorschach's trying to work out any trauma here it's just like a detective story trying to find out who killed Rorschach so I won't be getting number two I have no interest in seeing where the story goes. You know, I do think DC Black Label is doing a cool thing by letting creators have like runs that aren't necessarily canon. I know Kurt brought up, Kurt Ankeny brought up, you know, that he would fix Marvel or DC by just having them do like, you know, putting good creators on like books every once in a while. That's why I like DC Black Label because they kind of just let creators have like a run on a title and they could do what they want with it. But yeah, this is a miss for me. Well, you heard it here first. Five out of five stars. Highly recommended. Go check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Go buy it. Spend $5 of your hard-earned dollars on Rorschach Part 1. It's kind of crazy. Like, the direct market is fucking crazy. Because, like, if you do the math, this is supposed to be a 12-issue series. That's $60 you're going to pay for floppies. Like, or you could just wait a year and get it for 20 bucks. You know, it's like, it's insane. This actually kind of leads us into our next story about uh, Michelle Fife has been, for a while now, doing his self-published book called Copra, 
which is a phenomenal kind of love letter to DC's 80s run of Suicide Squad. Yep. And if you're listening to this, you're probably a big fan and you probably know about his uh, book deal with Image. And you also probably know that that book deal has changed slightly. Yeah. Uh, he posted on his Instagram that he reopened his uh, Etsy shop for the next two issues of Copra. And I, I remember I woke up, it was pretty early. I actually saw a tweet where it was like a link to the Instagram post. And I was like, oh, this is pretty crazy. And it didn't really have an explanation. It just had a link to the store. And then later, I guess if you've ordered Copra, Fife sent out a, an email saying that uh, he's going to keep the trades over at Image, but he's going to take over the uh, production and distribution of the floppies. And the main reasoning was that with the pandemic, he saw a lot of delays with Copra just because I guess like the printing places were closed or whatever it may have been. And he wanted that complete control over the production of the individual issues. So I guess when he, you know, puts out five or six of them, they're just going to get printed over at Image. So it's kind of this weird hybrid where you're using mainstream distribution, but you're also self-publishing, you know, so it's, it's cool. It's like the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people were talking about it as if his image deal doesn't exist anymore or, you know, but it, it seems more like he's wanting to streamline it and have a little more control over the mm -hmm. distribution of those floppies. And honestly, I don't think you're going to be making a whole lot of money on floppies anyway. The real money is the trades. Well, and also, you know, and I'll say this, and this isn't a dig because, you know, you immediately take the big backing of like a corporate structure of like an image comics. You know, it was nice to get Copra for, you know, $3.99 for, you know, a few months. But, you know, I just ordered the two new issues and, you know, after shipping, it was 16 bucks. So I went, you know, from paying four bucks an issue to 16 for two. But, you know, I totally get that. That's not a knock on that. You know, you got to add the printing costs. You're, you know, you don't have a deal necessarily in place like image does with a printer where you're going to get it for that cheaper price because you're doing bulk orders. And, you know, you've also got to pay yourself for the uh, time spent, you know, packing orders, shipping and so forth. So I would like to think that with that price jump, though, hopefully, you know, you'd be making a little bit more to sustain your living. You know, I don't know. I'm not trying to count his bag or anything, but I would like to think that if you're self-publishing, you're going to make a little bit more money than you would off of uh, a floppy at Image. Yeah. And I feel like the people that weren't buying the single issues from Image are definitely going to be buying those issues from him directly if they know what Copra is. Oh, for sure. For so sure. And I don't I don't really see this as being a negative for anyone. No, it's win-win, honestly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, like we said earlier, I think Image will likely collect whatever he self-publishes into a book and then they can mm -hmm. deal with the publishing and he can get paid. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, works out yeah, for you get everyone. Like your uh, quarterly royalty check for your graphic novel sales from Image, and then your month-to-month -month income from you know self-publishing your floppies. Yeah, you know you're cutting the middleman out and using the middleman when you need them. Yeah, and I'm still of the opinion that floppies are outdated. Yeah, I, like for self-publishing, it makes sense, but if you're a massive you know publisher with distribution reach, I I don't see the point. I really don't. It's gouging the collector market. I mean, that's what it is. It's yeah. like, it's it's just for nerds. It's just nerd collector satisfaction, you know? And, and I'm somebody who buys, you know, every issue of Batman and Detective Comics. And that's just because I've been buying them since like high school, you know, like even if it yeah. sucks and it just, it's, I can give my local comic store $8 a month guaranteed, like, which isn't shit, but you know, at least I can say I support my local shop if I don't buy anything else, but I, I, I wouldn't miss them if they went away. You right. Know? And I, I think, you know, 
know, more shops that sell either smaller press people or local talent. Uh-huh. You can pick up copies from them and they still get a cut and the artists get a cut and everybody walks away with money. So, yep. uh, yeah, I feel like if you are doing floppies, there has to be a reason for it. It's not mm-hmm. just because you want to gouge the collector's market. And, and obviously, yeah. self-publishing people don't have that in mind when they're making a comic. They're like, I'm going to just issue this issue and then, or I'm going to release this issue and then release the next one. And God knows if there's going to be a third or fourth issue, let alone a collected version, which rarely ever happens with self-publishing. So, you know, that's really the only way you can get those books. So that makes right. more sense. And I mean, you know, it's easier to set aside however long it takes to make a graphic novel. You know, that's probably at least a year. You know, if you're working fast, maybe three, four five months, something like that. But it's like if you're doing these little single issues as an artist, unless you've got some kind of other income. If you're trying to do art for a living, you know, it's easier to bring in income doing floppies and releasing a 24 page book as opposed to like just, you know, suspending your income and working on a giant book and then making money once that's done, you know. So it's a way to sustain some kind of income as an independent cartoonist. Unless you can secure in advance. Like if you're dealing with a real publisher, not just. Yeah. 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 All right. So early on into the pandemic, you probably heard our previous segments about all the shakeups that were going on with DC in terms of their distribution model and how they were going to get books to stores. Uh, we had reported prior that, uh, you know, they were working with UCS Comics distributors. Uh, however, that deal no longer is in play. It looks like uh, UCS has dropped that deal. And as a result, DC is now going with Lunar Distributions, which was one of the two that they were talking with anyway. Lunar will be distributed distributing all DC titles monthly in North America. However, there is a caveat to that. Looks like they're kind of changing the requirements in order for you to actually order from them directly. Accounts that stores have will now need to make a minimum of $125 worth of orders a week or $500 per month. And retailers who don't make a weekly total will have their order suspended until the following weeks. And then those who just don't make $500 a month over a three-month period for their orders will get their account suspended. They also included three additional requirements. You only need to meet one of these three, though. Uh, The requirements are you have to be a brick-and-mortar store, you have to have a dedicated direct-to-consumer website with a functioning shopping cart, or you have to have an online platform selling direct-to-consumers in a format other than auctions. Uh, A lot of these changes are being made in order to bypass what a lot of the speculative market is responsible for doing, mostly people going into group orders Or they're just running, quote unquote, eBay stores, which are non-existent comic shops that strictly only exist on eBay, but they're able to order directly from these distributors so that they can get those uh, high-selling variant covers. And that's where the real problem is. And so these limited releases are usually only limited like one or two per store. And as a result, their prices get jacked up in the secondhand market. And that helps, well, no one. At all, really. Right, right. So I think this is just a way for them to address that issue. It makes sense why they're doing it, and uh, hopefully it will lead to some positive change. I'm sure there's some outrage over it too, especially if you were a scalper or somebody that specifically deals on, you know, with selling stuff online, specifically on eBay. You could see people getting pretty salty about that, but, you know, they shouldn't be doing that anyway, so whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's good for the shops. It's fair, I guess. It keeps the scalpers off. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I know you don't give a shit and I don't give a shit uh, what DC does as far as their distribution. But, you know, the main thing here that I'm still happy about is the fact that, you know, they still haven't gone back to Diamond. So I'm glad that they're, you know, at least working with these distributors. You know, obviously these changes came up for a reason. Yeah. So it's good that they're willing to work with these new distributors and kind of instead of going back to, you know, your spouse that beats you. (laughs) And it's also nice that they're trying to help stores. I mean, granted, this is like, they could be doing more. Let's all be honest here. DC and Marvel could have been doing way more for shops during the pandemic. So this is pretty bare minimum, in in my opinion, in order to to help these stores not get undercut by people that just want to make a quick buck. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of crazy because like, it still is going to, I mean, the speculator can always still go into the shop. And I think shops, you know, shops around here, at least they do like the one per customer type deal. So I don't know. I don't think the speculator market's going to completely die, but, you know, it makes it harder for the speculator market to exist. But, you know, at the end of the day, fuck those kind of people, you know, like, but I'm also kind of guilty of it, too, because like if I know that a book's going to be hot and I see it on the shelf, like I don't go hunting for it. Yeah. But if I see it on the shelf, I'll grab it and I'll flip yeah, it but online. That's different, though. That's you in person at the store being a customer of the shop, buying something at the shop. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas it, it's not like you and like 15 other people in a Facebook group are putting in a retail order so you can get a discount and also get the retailer incentives. Yeah, so, that's how the trading cards are running right now too yeah like so that. yeah <laughs> it, it's smart and and it is a it, i think a practical way to address that mm-hmm. okay For moving sure. on moving yeah. on next story all right real quick i did want to get a couple plugs out that we had ms harkness new book desperate pleasures is officially available via uncivilized books so make sure you get a copy of that I got a email today that my pre-order had shipped out. So if you yep. pre-ordered the book, yeah, it should be on its way to you. Rodeo 2, number two, is out from uh, Evan Salazar. Rodeo number one was one of my favorite books of last year. So uh, really excited to get number two. And then also previous guest in front of the show, Josh Pettinger. Goiter number five is officially out from Tinto Press as well. You can actually get that from Tinto Press I really recommend that. It is a standalone story, so you don't have to read any of the other previous issues of Goiter for it to make sense. And last but not least, Mike Freyheit. Woods is available via Birdcage Bottom Books. It's been out for about a month or so, but uh, we definitely recommend you picking that up as well. So yeah, that's all I've got for plugs. So you seem kind of familiar with like Al Columbia and like these kind of antics. What? Well, well, I've just I've heard secondhand stories about how insane he oh, okay, is. Okay, okay. It's gotcha. it's not a secret. I think a lot of people, especially people that really follow Al Columbia, that are like you know very knowledgeable about his body of work, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. They all are pretty much very familiar with how unhinged that guy is. It's really it's actually really sad. So he's like Ivan Brunetti if he didn't get treatment type shit. Kind of. He's, yeah, he's just not well. He's just not a well guy, you know? Mm -hmm. So this news story that you're about to pull up is not really news to me because it it sounds very much on brand for him. But people that aren't familiar and just kind of only know his books, know of the name and know of his work may not know fully how unhinged he is uh, until they read the story. Yeah. So 
Okay. Alrighty. So Hollow Press is a publisher that is collecting and republishing some old Al Columbia work, The Biologic Show, which I've actually got an issue of it. So I don't know how many it was, but they're collecting all of those issues and they are putting them back in print for the first time in a while. However, Hollow Press made a post on their social media. They apparently had, you know, some bad times working with Al Columbia. And uh, I'm just going to kind of read that statement. It's a little long, so uh, I might paraphrase some of it. Uh, but they wrote, it is with great regret that I'm forced to give my version of some untrue and defamatory voices that are running on social media concerning the publication of The Biologic Show by Al Columbia. I didn't want to make this bad story public, but at this point I'm forced to. I've been unjustly accused of not respecting the artistic vision of the work. I mean, how things unfolded, all based on the email exchange which were saved and conserved, I had with Al Columbia in recent months. After showing the cover to the author, receiving enthusiastic compliments by him on the work done, we showed a pattern for the inner cover that triggered something absolutely inexplicable and crazy in his mind that led him to flood us with tons of insulting emails. Then, I've of course kept the highest level of professionalism and above all ignored the violence and aggression against me and immediately showed my availability in asking how the author preferred the rendering of the same, receiving a quote-unquote simple solid black as an answer. I then tried to reassure the author that everything was done as he requested, but the author preferred to continue his personal delirium by insulting me, going way beyond the point of veiled death threats and harassment against my family. I would like to confirm that the volume is already in print and will be published, having paid everyone involved in the project and having absolutely met all contractual terms. I also want to reassure that the comic has not been manipulated in any way and will be absolutely faithful to the original. I sincerely apologize in advance to Hollow Press's readers who will be able to enjoy this single volume by the author as due Due to the recent events, Hollow Press has no intention of continuing to collaborate with Al Columbia, who proved to be unstable from every point of view. I would like to conclude by reiterating that Al Columbia is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most extraordinary underground cartoonists ever, blah, 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 blah. So it seems like this dude kind of interacted with Al Columbia and it went from zero to 100 real quick. I mean, yeah, this, like I said earlier, this does not really change my opinion of Al Columbia because, uh, again, this sounds pretty much in line with what I know about him. But yeah, I don't know. His books look nice. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I've read uh, I got one that I think it was uh, Floating World put out a couple of years ago at SPX. It was pretty big. And then I've got one of those issues of uh, the biologic show and they look nice. They're really like crazy looking. <laughs> I guess that's like the best way to that I can describe them. It, they just look very frantic and they have this like certain energy that runs through them. Um, I'm a fan of the work. But yeah, it doesn't seem like somebody I'd want to work with based off of that. Yeah. Is is Al Columbia like a really old man or is he like No, 50? I don't think so. I, I, I forget how old he is exactly, but he's not that old. Yeah. I do know that he likes to dress up in 30s cosplay, which okay, like throws up multiple red flags in my opinion. Yeah. Set Any, anybody that. that likes to dress up in like old timey <laughs> clothes like that on a regular basis, they are super sus. They should probably have like fucking if the CIA want to be the CIA, fucking send him on that guy. <laughs> put put a tap on his phone line or something like he's up to some really shady shit. It's a fucking like uh, rotary phone back then in the 30s. It would have been uh, would have been one of those like two part phones like where you talk into like the it's where you give a coin to a Chinese boy and then he sends you a newspaper. <laughs> That's what that's what Al Columbia wants. <laughs> Hell yeah. I guess that's it for news. Unless you want to talk about CB's tribal name. Oh, yeah. 
Well, yeah. first we got to talk about yeah. why we even brought that up. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you t- yeah. I, originally, I didn't really want to talk about this because it's whatever. It seemed more like just like fluff. Mm-hmm. It looked more like fluff PR, in my opinion, from Marvel because. Yeah. Practically everything they do that's kind of in a similar tone as this is always the case. Yeah, I absolutely. will say this though. Okay, so what happened? Um, well, you you go ahead and talk about it because yeah, so Marvel is going to do something soon that is them celebrating Indigenous and Native American creators, and they're doing Indigenous Creators Month. They've hired indigenous artists and writers to tackle a couple projects. That's good. You know, they're not just letting white dudes, uh, you know, draw this shit. But in uh, true Gutter Boys fashion, we wanted to talk about our boy C.B. Sibolsky and, uh, you know, Mr. Akira Yoshida. And uh, if C.B. was to adopt a Native American name, what would it be? No, Chief pretending to be Asian. I think that was one of them. Yeah. High Chief pretending to be Asian. We've got a strong writing hand. (laughs) Yeah, I don't... I I will say something about this deal, right? Like, on one hand, I will give them credit because if it was any other month, I feel like Marvel would have done this press release and then every creator announced is just Donny Cates. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or just some other, like, you know, just the usual guy that always fucking does their stuff you know right because what was it that hip-hop yeah they did the hip-hop variant covers where they the just like variant drew covers, the, yeah the, the marvel but then, like every book them. had like not a single black creator on any of yeah, those not. books so yeah. that's kind of what i was expecting out of this so the fact that they actually got native american creators to do it that's surprising yeah but i will say this this stinks of like throwing creators a bone who never see anything from marvel like they yeah they don't and, get any- and, and they're not gonna get work after this from them oh, of course not no it's like if marvel did a black history month book release and like uh, this month we'll hire black people i guess for this month only though and then the rest of the year it's just the same shit over and over again right right yeah totally yeah i mean it's it's all performative just like so much in common like it's this fake wokeness that's done to look good and it's just you know to me it's really crazy because you'll get online and everybody's just like oh my god yes this is so great and it's like do you guys you guys can't see through this like it's it's really upsetting that like your average like online marvel dc you know twitter fan is like celebrating this stuff and don't get me wrong like it is cool but it's not going to be consistent so like like you said it's just getting a bone thrown you know it's like that's this is- that's pretty much fandom though any any kind of fandom it's you're going to get that of just people fucking falling over themselves because some company did the bare minimum. Sucks, so, man. yeah, can't be too surprised. Yeah. I don't want to end the new segment on Marvel. That just seems really depressing. Is there anything else that we can talk about that's not Marvel or DC? No, not in my notes. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, hang on. There's got to be something cool we could talk about. Oh, dude, what about fucking the uh, Comics for Biden panel getting canceled? What's That was a panel? Essentially, Biden was going to have, there was all these comic creators like Mark Wade, I remember, and a couple others that were going to like, it was like a virtual fundraiser for Biden, and it got canceled with like no fucking like explanation why the last time I checked. And then also Kamala Harris came out and was like talking about how she loved the Avengers movie and that Donald oh, Trump was like Thanos oh, and that Jesus. we needed to prevent Thanos from <laughs> like Look, that. That's in line with <laughs> so much. 
just so much that I man, this is gonna open the floodgates now. I yeah. this should have been look, what we covered only what we covered. This this could have been the entire topic for just this segment, yeah. honestly. Because goddamn, there's just so much here to just sink your teeth into oh man hang on let me try to find an article about the comics for biden shit because like oh the hashtag it wasn't panel for biden it was hashtag comic panel for biden unfortunately the hashtag comic panel for biden fundraiser was canceled at the last minute i was told that those who donated would be offered refunds or the opportunity to attend another event at the same donation level and it got canceled so it didn't they didn't say why this dude whose username is literally lgbt underscore activists <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I, I apologize for the la- And he's got a blue check. Eric Ross. Of course. I no, apo- yeah. Of course. yeah. <laughs> I apologize for the last minute cancellation <laughs> and want to thank everyone who stepped up to donate their time and expertise for the event. I'm truly grateful for their commitment to the important cause of winning back the White House. Hashtag comic panel for Biden. Please join the Biden President Victory Fund. It was Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Pack, Peter Krause, Heather Antos, Chris Sotomayor, Jamal Igle, Jody Hauser, David Gallagher, Andrew Dollhouse, Becca Caden, Rich Duick, Richard Clark, Pete Pantasis, Steve Orlando, Colin Bunn, and Alex Sanchez. And it was going to be moderated by Bob Harrison. Oh, and it it's, was like a, a, it's like a simp parade. Yeah. <laughs> and it <laughs> was pretty a cool. Virtual, it was a virtual comic book panel that was supposed to be on Thursday, October 22nd. So two days ago. And the video call detail would be provided for all guests 24 to 48 hours, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you had to donate. There was a link to RSVP. The donation amount is not listed on the flyer, but and if you click the link, it's dead. But yeah, yeah so they were going to do w- a comic panel for Biden where all these cartoonists, who the fuck knows what they were going to talk about? Were they just going to like jerk off over the latest Savage Dragon with Biden and Kamala on it? Like, I don't fucking know what they were going to do, but it got canceled. I want, do you think which, it got canceled? Which members nobody, of the Avengers is Biden? Uh, <laughs> you know, just shit like that. Yeah, like uh, just drawings of fucking you know uh kamala next to the avengers since uh she was talking about how donald trump was thanos and uh you know they need to get it get the power away from him (laughs) (laughs) i fucking hate this shit dude this is so horrible that we have to live through this and this is what happens when you have like grown adults who have baby brains yeah I get the thing about wanting to, like, understand the world using the limited tools and resources you have. In this case, you know, comic books and, you know, made up characters and superheroes and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But once you start bleeding that in the real world and applying those things to the real world, it just falls apart. Yeah. Right. Because these are like the real world is not magical stories about guys that dress up in spandex and have superpowers yeah like that's not how it works and in reality if the avengers did exist well you don't we don't even have to do the if they do exist they're called the cia and they do some pretty shady shit all the time Mm mm-hmm like, I don't, I, th- that's the thing. It's like the, the, the people that honestly latch onto this stuff, their brains are just so fucking gone at this point. Oh, They've yeah, been for sure. beaten down, uh, you know, because the mean orange man did another thing. Yeah. It, it's just, I, 
I can't even. I don't sucks. even know where to start with this. I don't. I sucks. don't know where to start with this other than it sucks. sucks. Yeah, it fucking sucks, man. This shit. Sucks. This fucking shit sucks ass. Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> please, f- fucking please watch any other movie that isn't MCU. Please, right? I fucking beg you. Yeah, just at least start campaigning for the Snyder cut or something. Like just, jump yeah, teams, just, change or, it up. Just consume something else. I don't. Batman like, would never simp for Joe Biden. Never. But yeah well yeah maybe he would actually yeah no batman definitely would if tom king was writing him yeah well yeah and that's the thing it's like you know these superheroes they're obviously going to be like the the voice that they have is all based on the team behind it so and most of the teams are people like this (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like people who are absolutely stupid just the worst kinds of brains they uh kiss their rbg photos good night before bed god damn yeah, no, it's like <sighs> it just sucks, man. That's just all you can really say is it sucks. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just me with my head in my hands. That's the only thing I yeah. can think of <laughs> in response to shit like this. Oh my god, it's just like someone's deviant art page of Nancy Pelosi saying "Avengers Assemble" or some fucking horseshit <laughs> like that. It's just it's so irritatingly stupid and disconnected <laughs> from reality. I, I just, I don't, there's no critique there. There's nothing. It's an empty, fucking childish, stupid, fu- never mind. It doesn't matter. I'm getting heated now. This is hot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm so mad. I did, I did actually find out what this, okay. So before the comics, hashtag comic panel for Biden was canceled, probably because nobody gives a shit about comics enough to pay or to Biden support Biden. For that fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> Who's excited about voting for Biden? Nobody. Please. Dude, Who nobody. Who the fuck is honestly excited actually, about that? Actually, no. I, there are so many people that like I see on Twitter that are excited about voting for him, but I don't know them. But apparently before this was canceled, the, the pitch from Twitter user, verified Twitter user at LGBT underscore activist was, have you ever wanted to learn more about getting into the comic industry? Here's your chance and you can help Biden win the White House at the same time. Check out the one-on-one virtual chats of Available with the pros. You can also get writing critiques and portfolio reviews from top writers and illustrators in the industry. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Hashtag comic panel for Biden. Folks, if you want to do this for uh, for a less amount of money than what Biden was asking for, just take your portfolio up to people, especially Ramon Villalobos. He will gladly review your portfolio for you at a show. Yeah, he will laugh in your face. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll Which, be sitting right next to him to, to join in. Can you imagine simping for Biden so hard that like you pay to get a comic creator who is not going to remember you because it's a virtual fucking chat to look at like your portfolio? I yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the idea of like get a sneak peek and how to make comics like motherfucker, you can do that right now. You yeah. don't need you don't need Biden to do that. You don't no. need to give any money for that. No, no, no. Just all. do it. Just make a comic. Yeah. Mm. Sad times we live in, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking forward to when the election is over so I don't have to hear people pretend to be excited about Biden. Yeah. Uh, That's really know, the only thing I'm looking forward to at this point. When they, when they say that they're going to push him left and it's not going to happen. Fuck. Yeah, that's going to rock. That's going to rock. <laughs> you, guys gonna, are, you guys that's are gonna all, it's going to blow up right in your face. It's like, wait, how, how could this have happened? How could the DNC let me down again? <laughs> Who could have foreseen this? Oh, fuck. Oh, anyway. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll do it for this show. Bye. We're not doing the show anymore. This is. Yeah. yeah. It's, you uh, know, for a Halloween episode, this is not very spooky. I just want to say that. I want to reiterate that point. Yeah. Damn. Maybe we really should. Really let down by you. 
Cam. Yeah, yeah. You're the even one think... that's supposed to be all big about Halloween, and, and then we get to Halloween, and you're just like, Let's but talk it's about but it's weird, man. I can't uh, I can't really get stoked for Halloween because like I'm not out and about in public and like seeing all the decorations and like it's weird, you know. This I mean, obviously this this year is weird, but it doesn't feel like Halloween. I've got some like decorations around my house, and you know, I guess there's scary movies on TV, but I don't know. It's been hard to get into the mood this year, but that's probably just because I'm locked in my house all the time. I mean, I feel like last year we did at least some sort of like horror comic talk. Well, I put out that anthology last year, too. It was a horror. Yeah. So, so I had that going, too. So I was definitely more into the vibe of Halloween last year. But yeah, we did do more. Well, we'll get them next year. Yeah. So next year, we'll try and be a little more spooky. Yeah. You did know. kind of a, a spooky intro. I did. And, and you know, I'll put some music over it. and It's fine. Oh, All right. yeah. All right. Well, it's commercial break. All right. See you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So that about does it for news. Come back after the break. We will be here with Caroline Cash. Stay tuned. If you dare. <laughs> we'll be right back. I figured out what it all means. I can solve the whole thing. I can fix it all. I, I, I just have to explain to people about how men and women are different. We're the same. And I can destroy the patriarchy because this is all an illusion. Yeah, that uh, that sounds great, honey, but when was the last time you slept? You aren't listening to me! After suffering a psychotic breakdown triggered by the election of a powerful demagogue, Beth follows her husband, Jason, to a remote cabin where the two try to make their own world in spite of the increasingly volatile political climate. While the couple are trying their best to overcome Beth's break from reality, otherworldly arbiters conspire to change their lives forever. You can't run anymore, Beth. What? You have to die through. No! It's the only way out of Cage bottom books. Woods is a horror story that confronts the traumas surrounding a loved one's battles with mental illness, questions the struggle of individual engagement in the collective, and imagines the possibilities of a world that transcends beyond earthly understanding. Woods by Mike Freiheit. BirdcageBottomBooks.com. Announcing his candidacy for president. Is vote for the Crypt Keeper Fiends. Cause you know that my tales will deliver. It's murder, it's madness, it's fun. Why die a slow death when you can run? Three cheers for the wretch, black and blue. Oh, you know how my tales make you shiver. Like stabbing, programming, delight. It's vindictive, so addictive. Thousand points of fright. Premier Saturday night at 10.30 on HBO. Now. Back to our program. Welcome back from our spooky commercial break. Ah, 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 ah. We're back with our guest, Caroline Cash. 
What's up, Caroline? Um, so much, since, you know, nothing's going on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Alrighty, so, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in. We are here today with special guest Caroline Cash. Caroline is a cartoonist that is currently based in Chicago. Their recent book, Girl in the World, was put out last year. Was it last year or was it this year? Time's all running together. Last year was put out by Silver Sprocket, and we're here to talk with them. And we're really glad that uh, Caroline was able to uh, join us for an interview. Uh, it's been someone we've wanted to talk to for a while. I'm personally a huge fan of their work. That book was one of my favorite books of last year. So uh, really excited to get into this. Uh, Caroline, a lot of the times we start off these interviews with a simple question that is pretty loaded, and that is, uh, why comics? I mean... I feel like I wouldn't make comics if I wasn't just obsessed with them. I feel like that's the only way to, like, kind of rationally make comics. Like, you know, it's just like I want to do it, so I'm doing it. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things that, like, you have to be sick in the head to make them. Like, you yeah. have to love the art form to make it. Yeah, because, like, it's not, like, one of those things that, like, you, you can do for money, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, like, you know, like, money or fame or, like, it's comics. Like, it's just fun, you know? So, like... right. Yeah, I've I've just, I've always spent so much time reading comics and thinking about comics and like drawing things that then would become comics, you know, so it's just like. So before we were recording here, we were kind of talking, you said you started making comics in 2016, but you just said that, you know, you've had a long term relationship with comics. Were you reading comics before 2016? I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up reading comics, like a lot of newspaper stuff. And I drew a bunch of comic books when I was 10 and then, you know, kind of put away the medium for a long time. But because I was very convinced that I was going to be like a painter or something. But I don't know. I like feel like from when I first could like read, I would wake up every morning and like excitedly read the like shitty newspaper comics, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) what were your favorites? I mean, always Peanuts. Like Peanuts was always really good. I I really loved to hate Garfield, like from like, because it was always like the same three jokes. And I thought that that was really boring. Right. I really, I wasn't around when Calvin and Hobbes was in the the newspaper, but like I read all the collections and stuff when I was around that same age, you know, so Mm -hmm. yeah. I think the, uh, like, uh, you know, it is definitely in the newspapers, but I really think that Cal- it's kind of funny because, like, I don't remember ever seeing Calvin and Hobbes in the newspaper. I don't even think it was in the newspaper where I was from. Right. And it's like that whole series just had, like, a life because of, like, the scholastic book fairs, I feel like, with kids. And, you know, <laughs> they would just somehow get those books to kids. I don't know how, but, like, I know Calvin and Hobbes was syndicated, but, like, I don't know anybody who read it while I was in the paper. Right. I only I only knew what it was because my best friend in the third grade, Connor, he had a copy of one of the collections like in his bathroom and whenever I would like go pee I would always like read Calvin and Hobbes you know hell yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) wait so it wasn't printed when you guys were reading it I don't think it was in you know I'm from from Kentucky and I I just don't think it was in our local paper like I never saw Calvin and Hobbes in the paper like I know it was syndicated but it wasn't in my paper weird okay yeah was it in the Florida papers where you were from yeah yeah oh yeah I I, I read it Uh, yeah yeah we had we had everything else it was like you know Dilbert Garfield Peanuts you know all the all the other shit family circus oh yeah sure but yeah I never I've never seen Calvin and Hobbes in a newspaper Mm, okay so yeah so did you go you mentioned that you had you know desires to be 
a painter. Did you go to art school? Yeah, I did. Okay. Where'd you go <laughs> yeah. to school at? I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, which is why I moved to Chicago. And then about halfway through, I was like, I actually uh, really don't like fine art. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Where are you originally yeah. from? I'm from Charleston. So like South Carolina. Okay, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Fellow Southern. Yeah, we're, we're holding it down for the South. Yeah. You did mention you went to Chicago. Around what years was this when you started going to school? I graduated high school in 2014, so... Okay. Yeah. So, we talk about this on the show a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, Chicago is just like a hotbed for independent comics and even mainstream comics as well. There's, you know, a lot of cartoonists that live there. Is that kind of what kickstarted your interest into making your own comics or where did you make that jump from, you know, wanting to be a painter to making comics? I, it had, it had a lot to do with one of my professors who I was like complaining to him about how much I just didn't like what I was doing. And he was like, well, what do you like? And then I kind of was like, oh, I I actually really like comics. And then between kind of having those conversations with him and then talking a lot with my friend Mason Howell, who's like a really incredible cartoonist, Uh, we went to school together and he, we were like, 18 years old and like really into fallout boy but he <laughs> was like one of the first person like people that i had talked to who were like oh you should totally read like this comic by chris ware or whoever the fuck you know he was like yeah we should be in jeffrey brown's comics class together and i was like okay sure um <laughs> So um, it was a lot of like super trying to keep up with him about like whatever he was reading. And then like also just I was reading a lot of manga, too. So I was kind of like, okay, there are so many like sad cartoonists in Chicago who make really cool work. And then I'm also reading a lot of manga. So So, (laughs) what was uh, Jeffrey Brown's class like? It was like Jeffrey was very sweet and his feedback was really good. The class itself was very challenging because with the exception of Mason and then like one other person in the class, like the other people, it was just kind of it's like bad vibes. It was like everyone was making just comics about their cat and they were like really boring. (laughs) And Jeffrey was like, you guys, can you please make something about like he had to tell the class to stop making work about cats. (laughs) It was really bizarre. Like, I feel like it would have been a lot better if it had been any other semester. Yeah, that's pretty strange. Like, was it just this weird, like, fascination that was it all just coincidental that everybody was doing work about cats or was everybody talking about it? And they were like, I'm going to try to, you know, outdo your comic. I think it was a coincidence that was also, like, spurred by the fact where it felt like even, like, a lot of the people in the class, like, were just, like, taking the class to fulfill a requirement, you know, which was really weird to me, because it's like, yeah. why take yeah. this class that? Is that is weird. Well, but, I can understand the logic in that. I took, uh, when I was in college for my uh, PE credit, I took basketball, and, like, nice. uh, everybody that would, like, had taken it had been playing street ball probably since middle school, and I got fucking annihilated every Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> so, maybe they were just like, oh, comics, that sounds fun, and then they just end up trying to make cat comics, and it's just a bunch of normie people. Moving past that, though, like, did you do any kind of self-publishing while you were in school, or was it mainly after that, that you started making your own comics and, you know, actually distributing them. I mean, I I don't think that, like, if I wasn't in school, like, I would have figured out 
totally how to do it in the same way that I was doing it. Because I had this like printing, like a printed ship at the school with this amazing man, Todd, who ran the offset press for the school. So he printed everything for a bunch of people in the print department. And he taught me how to like use the actual offset machines, which is how I would print my comics because I didn't have to like pay for anything besides like the paper and some of the plates used. So that was how I was able to print so many comics with like no no like funds, you know. So I I was really grateful to that. And then there was like a risograph too on campus that I had full access to and just like all this stuff that came with going to college that I don't have now that I'm not in college, <laughs> you know. So I I really feel super grateful for the print media department and all of their machines that I really messed around with <laughs> to try and make comics. So do you want to talk about some of that early work? I know a lot of people don't like talking about their early comics. Do you recall what you were putting out? You know, like the first few books that you put out and like the subject matter? I, yeah, I was, when I, when I decided that I liked comics and that's what I wanted to do, I like took like four comic classes in the same semester and everything. And I was just really into it. So I, I do have a memory of kind of what I was doing at that time. I made a comic called Mr. Blob? That was just, like, a bunch of three-panel strips about just, like, a little guy. And, like, there there was, like, a just, like dumb gag humor, humor type of thing, you know? Because that felt, like, safe. And my mom really likes it, which is how I remember it. <laughs> because she's like, why don't you make any comics like that? And it's like, Mom, <laughs> I don't want to make three-panel gag comics. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> anything I make. She'll be like, what if it was like that one thing that was the very first thing you made? But that's fine. You know, um, I'm, glad, I'm glad she liked some of it. And then I made a comic that was just like making fun of like fake dudes who like try and be like really like quote unquote like punk. So it was like I was, I think that was the first thing I ever printed on the Offset Press, actually. Um, there were two misspelled words in it, and I'll never forget that, because it was the thing that people like to point out about it to me. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, so then I was making fun of just punk boys, because it's really, really easy. Um, <laughs> it is low-hanging fruit, yeah. It's really low-hanging fruit. Like, I'm not proud of it, you know? It was, it didn't take much. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then I just, like, I was just trying to make a bunch of, like, short form work because I felt like I wasn't ready to make anything longer, mm -hmm. you know, because that's hard. <laughs> For sure. No, I mean, I'm still not making fucking, I still haven't done anything that's, like, longer than, like, eight pages as far as, like, narrative. It's Eight pages is perfect, though. Like, that's, I, I love an eight-page comic. Yeah, you know? you know, four, eight, twelve. I think, like, that's kind of, like, the guidelines I set for myself. Not that I've ever done twelve, but with new stuff, I'm trying to do twelve. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think four pages is just, like, you could tell a pretty decent story in comics with four pages, I think, and intervals yeah. of that, you know, you can kind of just work it into acts. So you did, I kind of want to go back to your mom. Does your mom read every comic that you put out? She reads a lot of them. She even, she doesn't really understand that many of them, which is fine, mm -hmm. you know, because she's like a 55 year old Southern woman who doesn't read comics usually. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, every once in a while, like, I, I'm not going to show her everything, you know? Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask, because, like, you know, my mom would get copies of all my books, but I don't think she ever opened a single one of them. But I just didn't know if she ever asked you about some of the subject matter, because a lot of your subject matter is, you know, uh, risque is not the word. It's just, you know, you're very open about smoking weed <laughs> in your work, you know, and <laughs> just like, you know, the, yeah, blaze it. Smoke weed every day. Uh, the dialogue is very, uh, I think it's very modern. That's, that's one thing that I think that you do super well, uh, especially with Girl in the World. It's such a modern story that feels so in the moment. You know how like you can look back on things like and be like, oh, the 90s and the 80s. And like they have like these like certain staples that you remember about them. I feel like that what you captured in Girl in the World is like a perfect like time capsule of like this, like I guess like what the late 2010s at this point. So yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that. (laughs) (laughs) So... <laughs> nice. 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 So yeah, uh was uh Girl in the World though the first book that you worked with the publisher for? Outside of like maybe an yeah. anthology? Yeah. And that was on yeah. uh, Silver Sprocket uh out of yeah. where are they based out of? Seattle. SF, They're based right? in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Okay, okay. And uh how'd you get linked up with them? Did you pitch the book to them? Did they approach you after seeing some work? Well, I met Avi runs the press, um, and I met Avi a couple years ago at a Chicago zine fest that I was tabling at. I think it was the very first one, actually, that I had tabled at, which it was very scary. It was my very, it was my first time tabling, and I was just very sweaty. But I had made that comic of making fun of, like, punks, and Isabella Rotman picked one up, and she thought that Avi would like it, because they're, they're friends, and so she gave him a copy, and then he came over and, like, introduced himself, and we were kind of, like, friends from then on. And whenever I would see him and the rest of, like, the very large Sprocket crew at shows and stuff, I would just, like, throw in whatever I was working on, just because, like, I would have a bunch of copies, and then he would, sometimes, like, we would, like, do zine trades, and he would give me, like, whatever Sprocket title I wanted, and it was really, really sweet. And then, eventually, um, we were, like, I think it was at SVX, and I was, like, very drunk, and he was, like, pitch me a book, and I was, like, no. (laughs) Like, I just didn't take him seriously. I thought he was just, like, you know, just joking around. I like that your immediate answer is no. No, yeah. Yeah. Like, months later, he emailed me and he was like, I was serious. And I was like, really? (laughs) And then it turns out he was actually serious. So then I pitched him a couple things and we, like, talked through some of the ideas and we ended up going with Girl in the World. And that was really cool. It was cool, like, working with another person on something. Um, Not that it was super hands-on. He was very, like, just do whatever you want and I'll let you know if I like it. And I was like, cool. That's that sounds ideal, honestly. But it was it was cool working with him. It was cool. It's, I, I really like Sprocket specifically, so it's yeah. They've got a really uh, I, cool roster. I mean, you're over there. I know Jen Woodall's over there. Nicole yep. Goo and Dave Baker are over there. There's like a lot of really cool cartoonists that are doing work there, and I'm sure I've even glossed over a couple and I've forgotten there. So when you're you know making this story here with Girl in the World, was this something that you were planning on doing because you pitched a couple ideas, or is this something that you developed after you know being asked? pitch a book i had made an eight-page comic i love eight-page comics i had made an eight-page comic that was the first six pages of girl in the world and then two more that i changed because it was gonna like end the story there Mm -hmm. and i made this eight-page comic and i really liked it and i thought it was funny and i just like was like oh i'm really excited about this eight-page comic and i think i made like 20 copies of it on a xerox machine and i was like cool love that i made this like 
best comic I've made, this eight-page comic. And so when Avi asked me to pitch, it was around the time that I had made that. I think it was, like, within the same couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, I could pitch this as, like, because it was one of the first things that I'd ever done that I could see being longer than eight pages mm-hmm. if I wanted it to. So I pitched that and then a couple other ideas that were just, like, kicking around in my brain. And he was like, well, which one are you the most excited about? You know, so, which it was clear to me that that was the one, which was nice. It was nice that he was like, what do you think? You know? Mm -hmm. And if you look at the book, it looks pretty labor intensive as far as, you know, all the colors going on, all the page layouts. Like, they're just Mm -hmm. completely, some of them are just, like, crazy in a good way. So what did your process look like when you were working on the book? Were you, did you have a schedule? Were you working on every day? Or was it just kind of when you felt like it? What What's your process look like as far as, like, making time for comics and, you know, working on them to get them done? I, when I was working on Girl in the World, it was, like, the tail, like, my last semester in college and then summer. And so when I was in school, I was mostly just, like, trying to do school, but then I didn't really want to because I wanted to work on the book. So I, like, I feel like I just, I had a couple days off every week and... On those days off, I just spent the whole day just trying to go at the book. And I totally missed the first deadline that I had set for myself with it. And then I think I missed the second one, too. And so it came out later than originally intended. Because I just, I since I had never worked on something that big, I didn't realize how long it was going to take. Because I'm always like, oh, yeah, I can do that in half an hour. And it'll look exactly how I want it to look. And it, it never goes like that. <laughs> I, I think I would just work for, like, eight hours straight a day. Every day I had off and then whenever I wasn't in school for especially for a couple months there I was just like no I can't go out (laughs) to work on a comic you know and especially once it came down to crunch time I I kind of fucked up my wrist because I was being kind of stupid about it because I was like yeah I can draw for 10 hours straight without taking a break and nothing bad will happen to my arm. But I had a couple of my friends came over and, like, helped me, like, erase the pencil. And, like, oh, shit, that's awesome. We were just, like, chilling. And it was, like, four of my friends, like, fucking so troopers. You were, like, you were running a whole, like, uh, manga operation over there. You had your assistants uh, <laughs> doing was... cleanup. And... Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we got some questions about that. But, like, as far as, like, I think that your work is, like, a lot of the times color <laughs> in work can take away from a comic. A lot of the times uh, you'll look at, especially stuff at Marvel and DC, in my opinion, I think those comics would look so much better just black and white. They would. Uh, because a lot of the coloring on it's horrible. But your book, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, uses color in such an effective way. All of your work actually does. Like, uh, it seems very calculated. It helps the work stand out in a good way. And it actually plays like a really big part in the setting of your work and uh, setting the mood. So is that something that like, like as far as like developing color palettes that you're going to use and so forth, is that something that you take a lot of time to put together or is it just kind of what you're feeling? Um, Because I did want to talk to you about that because I do feel like your coloring stands out. Yeah, I want to, I really, I really want to get better at color palettes. I feel like I need to go into it a bit more structured because then I like, I kind of just go into it and then if something doesn't look good, I redo it, which is maybe not the most time effective way to do things. The way that I color pages right now and the way that I did it in Girl in the World is I, I have this light box and so I do all of the inking on one page of like Bristol paper and then I tape it down to the light box and on top of it, then 
I do the color and then I just scan them both and then overdo it in Photoshop, you know? <laughs> so I do it that way in case I fuck up the color and I don't like it. That way it doesn't ruin like all of the ink work. Mm-hmm. But like because I have just kind of gone on to it being like, oh, <laughs> I like purple. Sometimes it doesn't look how I want it to. So it's a lot of troubleshooting. But I think for the most part, I would really, I, I want to get some like color theory books or something. You know, I feel like that's, that could be the way to go about it next time. But yeah, for sure. So you did say next time. So I know you're working on a book now, which do you want to talk about the title? Is it okay if I say the title? Or? <laughs> yeah, you could, I mean, I'm, I haven't announced it yet, but I, I'm working on this book that's going to be called In the Woods. But since it's, it's all set in woods, the color scheme is pretty simple. It's like mostly greens and then like a red. Hell yeah. So yeah. how far along are you into working on that book? I am about halfway done, which is cool. I wasn't, like, able to draw comics at all for, like, a couple of months. I was just kind of, like, asleep for a couple months. So it's nice to be able to, like, actually work on something and feel like I'm making progress. But, yeah, I'm about halfway done. Yeah, so uh, is it going to be longer than Girl in the World? Shorter? Right now, it's looking like it's going to be 60 pages. Okay, hell yeah. Are you going to pitch it to publishers? Or, I mean, you know uh, to talk about it. Sprocket's publishing it. We haven't announced it yet, so I guess this is the announcement. But (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, they've they've DM'd us from the official account saying they like the show, so hopefully... uh... I don't okay, think I don't it. think they're gonna be mad. I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's gonna be like sixty pages. It's going to be in the like size wise. I really want it to be printed like the same size as like an old like pulp novel. You know? Oh, cool. Yeah. Because like basically. The premise is that it's just, you know, four friends doing shrooms in the woods. And the whole time they're, like, really freaked out that, like, something awful is going to happen, but then nothing bad happens and they have a great time. And that's the comic. So I think that, like, kind of playing off, like, an old horror, like, pulp novel is, like, funny. Hell yeah. No, that'd be super cool. Yeah. I know Pat Rooks just did a collection in a pulp novel size, and, like, you don't see many comics that size. They used to do, like, a lot of the old collections, I feel like. There'd be, like, the old Peanuts or Family Circus or Dennis the Menace books that you can find that were that size, but you don't really see that format nowadays. Yeah. So, that'd be sick. Hell yeah. Alrighty, so we are going to go ahead and get into questions with Caroline. We actually, uh, Caroline has a Gutter Boys record for most questions, so congratulations, Caroline. Uh, but no, so uh, you get first nothing. question. Yeah, you get, no- it's comics, <laughs> nice. you get nothing. Yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah but just like comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. <laughs> we'll send you a brick in the mail, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, get you, we'll get you a brick mounted to a piece of wood. I would love that. Do you want to read the first question, JB, or you want me to take it? All right, so we got pretty much the same question a couple of times, so I'm just going to read Alex Nall's question. Your page layouts are incredible. What inspires them? I'm trying to think of, like, what I want a page to look like. A lot of the times, for me, just for me, like, I get really bored by four-panel grids and grids like that. For me, when I'm drawing them, I really like to read comics that look like that, but I don't like to draw comics that look like that. Hmm. So usually, especially if it's a scene where, like, I want there to be some dialogue, but I want it to, like, kind of move the viewer's eyes across the page in a certain way. I try and think of a page layout to do that. That would be interesting to draw, like, to make it interesting for and fun for just for me. Um, and then it's, like, a bonus that it's fun for other people. But, yeah. 
So usually trying to think of it like that. Yeah, it disregards like all regard for structure, which I love. It's still readable, as, like, though. That's nice. Yeah, but it's still readable. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. hell yeah. All righty. So our next question came from Myrtle Willoughby, Mary Shine. What are your favorite karaoke jams? And can you sing us a few bars? If I'm drinking, actually, no, 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 not even if I'm not drinking. I have a go-to for karaoke personally. It's Sugar Ray, the greatest hits of Sugar Ray. <laughs> you put one of those songs on, I'm going to sing it. So, you know, every morning, someday, I just want to fly. I mean, they're easy songs to sing. Every, you're you're going to get somebody that's drunk as fuck in the bar that's going to come up, you oh, know, and 100%. try to sing with you. Some dude yeah, with it's, a monster energy drink pleaser. hat that's backwards. Yeah. He's going to definitely rocks. go along with it. Yeah, Sugar Ray's the go-to. Wasn't Sugar Ray in the live-action Scooby-Doo movie? Or did I just, like, oh, yeah. dream that one up? No, I just watched that recently, um, and <laughs> they're definitely in it. They, they're like infected zombies that are playing at the monster theme park. Very sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super sick. Damn, that's spooky. Yo, yo, the Biatch was like, what? And I was like, later on. Yeah, do you guys have go-to karaoke songs? I I just don't do karaoke. It's just not for me. But I, it's, For some reason, I find that very surprising. I a don't lot know of why. people do, you know? Usually, I'm really down to hang. I just... <laughs> I, like, I, I, I love to hear my friend's beautiful renditions of, like, Boom 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 by the Vinga Boys. Like I'm really down for that. Just I don't I don't want to be a part of it. You know. Is it is it like stage fright or is it something else? Maybe it's stage fright. I don't know. I I've never thought too hard about it to be honest. But like, is is the idea of you being in front of a lot of people and singing make you uncomfortable? I think I just don't want to do it. You know. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I don't know if it's like uncomfortable or if I'm just like, no. Like, what's the yeah. difference between that? Uh, I feel like they're the same, but I understand. Yeah, I think, I think they're the same, maybe. So maybe I am uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I understand, though. That makes sense. That's fine. That's fine. I could see you being very supportive in a setting like that, a karaoke setting. Yeah, it's like, I'll buy everyone a beer. Yeah. Like, that's great. Yeah. Like, congrats. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. My jam is uh, it really depends on how drunk I am to be I've honest. I've seen you do a couple Smiths uh, Morrissey tracks. That's all yeah, I've ever seen you I'll do. I'll do those and I'll do Roy Orbison. Nice. And then I'll mix it up and do like System of a Down. Yeah, hell classic. yeah. Classic shit. You know. Yeah. So I know actually it's going to sound like we're blowing smoke. Um, there was a lot of you all that wrote in questions that were very similar or we already covered it during the interview portion. Stuff like, you know, Sad Boy Angry Man asked, does Caroline color the original art pages or do that separately? You know, stuff like that we've already covered. So if you wrote in a question and we didn't read it, it was probably because it was answered previously in the interview. Yeah. Same goes with D Moses asking about favorite old comics. We already covered that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, are there any other old comics you enjoy, Caroline, besides the newspaper stuff? You know, now that you are reading more? I, now that I'm not like seven and only reading Peanuts, I, there's so many good, like, old sports mangas. Like, I really like Slam Dunk. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So I heard that's good. good. Yeah. It's I'm, good as fuck and so well drawn. You have to check it out. Like, it's so, so funny. So, funny story. I try. Okay, so apparently there's like a new basketball manga that's called like, mm. oh, I'm going to fuck it up. It's called something with a K basketball. Cool. 
but they had it at Barnes and Noble and I bought it and I because I thought it was slam dunk. So I bought volume <laughs> one and I was like, this is fucking horrible. I was like, why does everybody like this? And then I found out that there's a manga called Basketball and then Slam Dunk was what I was looking for. And I still yeah. haven't read any Slam Dunk. I've just seen pictures of it online. It's good. You know, it's like a, it's a feel good one, you know. I haven't really read any sports manga, but the well, the closest I have is the uh, AJW and AJPW like uh, wrestling mangas that were done in the 80s. Oh, are nice. they sick? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're saying because I can't read Japanese, Ooh. but they look really <laughs> great. The art is amazing. Hell yeah. And, and from what I can tell, especially the AJW ones, those follow the timelines of like the actual events at AJW pretty accurately. Oh, okay, cool. I think it uh, it goes without saying, old comics I like. I love fucking Nancy. Nancy's amazing. Nancy is the fucking best. Yeah, Ernie Bushmiller, I really still think might be like the best cartoon because like Bushmiller was so like self-aware in some strips that it was so funny. I'm getting a Nancy tattoo very soon. Oh, nice. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, me me too. I was going to get a Nancy (laughs) tattoo as well. Yeah. (laughs) I also was going to do that thing. Yeah. Well, I've just been thinking about it. Like I've got tattoos and I haven't gotten a tattoo in almost 10 years. And I was just like, "Mm." you know, I like to keep everything like symmetrical in my body. Like so like if I get one on the right arm, I get one on the left arm. And I've had on my left ankle. I've had it blank for like almost a decade and I've got something on my right ankle. So I was like, I might have to get Nancy there. Cam, if you you get uh, if you get testicular cancer and you have to lose one of your balls, would you remove both to remain symmetrical? <laughs> I mean, I, no, I don't know. That'd be kind of weird. No, <laughs> I mean, a valid it, question. Yeah, yeah I, I would. I would just ask the doctor for their expertise and their opinion. And uh, if they said <laughs> I would or lose, not, you should chop off your. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, well, what do you think, guys? Like, you know, do you think this is something I should do? <laughs> that but sounds no. rational, you know. Yeah, it's like, see you know, it's like that's their job. I mean, yeah, it's like, what do you all think? Like, am I gonna have problems if I keep one? Is you, know, you, you could well, no, you could get one of those like rubber ball replacements. I'm sorry, we, I don't, I don't okay, know. Why yeah. I I don't even remember what we were talking about. <clears throat> oh, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah, Nancy. Nancy and old comics. Yeah. Yeah. The, it seems like the uh, older I get, the more I gravitate towards older comics. I don't know if that's with you all, too. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But I try to, I, I work backwards as opposed to like looking forward. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I guess just because like you look for the foundation of what you're fucking doing, you know, like what built this stuff up. Like a lot of the like, you know, for an example, like a lot of the stuff in a lot of those early comics are really questionable, you know, race wise, uh, you know, a lot of poor drawings of uh, different cultures and so forth. You know, a lot of that stuff in Mad and oh, yeah. even Gasoline Alley, you know, but a lot of that stuff is really beautiful. I've got some of those collections of like the uh, Gasoline Alley Sunday pages that were colored and they're so amazing. Amazing. Like I've never, you know, seen comics like that. And it's, it, it's even more mind blowing when you look at something like a, a little Nemo that was made in like 1919. Yeah. yeah. And it's like better and more intricate than comics that are done today. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I really yeah. liked those like little Nemo spreads and the gasoline outlet. They both did that where it's like the whole page is one image, but then it's broken up by like frame by frame. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They would like do like a walking down a staircase type deal. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, that shit is crazy. That shit blew my mind, you know. That's, like I feel like that's all the foundation for Chris Ware's stuff too. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like there was a like I remember there was a gasoline alley strip where it was like a house being built and it was one image but the characters were like running around and playing in this like 
half-built house, but it was like one image instead of panels. And it was just, it worked so well. But you think about like conceptually pulling that off and it's so hard to do that well. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Next question is from Joss underscore Heiss. Is that how you say that? I'm I'm from Uh, the South, so I say jazz. Jazz (laughs) underscore Heiss. They ask, do they feel like working at Quimbino's helps their creative process or whatever? I love the or whatever. Yeah, it's very. I feel like that's very your energy, though, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not mad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm really grateful to be working at Quimby's bookstore. It's cool working somewhere where like the one hyper niche thing that I like is what the people who are there also enjoy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool cuz I kind of get to see like another side of books, you know, rather than just like making them in my room alone, like I get to see like how they interact with people on kind of a daily basis, which is which is nice. It's it's also nice to see what kind of like just like logistically like what falls apart on the floor and what doesn't. Yeah. Like when it comes to just making books. But wait, what was the what was the question? <laughs> oh, uh, just, it, I um, mean, I think they're just asking in general if if it helps your creative process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like in terms of how it impacts your process of making comics. Yeah, I mean, being around comics 24/7 at my my job and then when I'm at home at in the beginning, it was a little jarring because I was just kind of like, okay, I, I worked with comics all day and now I'm gonna just watch Catfish, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Or like, I'm just gonna go smoke weed with my friends. Like, why would I think about comics after dealing with them all day? But now I'm, I feel good about it, you know? And it's, it can be really inspiring because I'll see something that comes into the store that's like so mind blowing. And I'm like, damn, why didn't I make that? Or like, whoa, like that was just so fucking good, you know? So it's, it's nice to like, I feel like the best part about it is seeing all of the new work kind of immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Really grateful. And I feel like also since Quimby's is a hub, you kind of get to interact with new and old talent in the city too, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I met a a ton of people outside of, like, the normal circle of, quote-unquote, like, comics that I would meet if I wasn't working there. It's, it's, it's especially, like, older cartoonists who maybe don't go out to, like, the, like, get drunk and read comics event, you know, type of thing. Or they just don't table or whatever. Yeah, or people who, like, are kind of sick of tabling or people who, you know, have kids now, so, like, they aren't really doing that type of stuff, but... Yeah, it's really nice. It's good to meet just kind of like a like a wider variety of people making comics and or even just interested in comics, you know. Yeah. Hell yeah. Alrighty. Yeah. So next, it's not really a question, but it's uh, a statement from your uh, publisher, Avi. Uh, Avi wrote <laughs> yeah. in and said, Girl in the World is the reason why I watch Naruto. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's so fucking sick. I just want to the- say that your presentation that you gave uh at uh the comic shop for the debut of uh, girl in the world you had like a powerpoint presentation oh my god i was so nervous yeah yeah and i remember very yeah. vividly how like for some reason naruto was a focal point of that presentation <laughs> nice i totally blocked that all out because i was really nervous <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did have yeah yeah you did well you did really well Sure, sure. Yeah, I think I, I think I read really, really fast, and then I left. 
<laughs> yeah. I hate doing fucking comic readings. I've only done one, and it was uh, as part of the programming for Chicago Zine Fest one year. And nice. I just, yeah, it was super weird, though. Like, uh, just to, like, read your work, like, in front of a room, it's so fucking weird. It, it did is, help me sell is. copies, I think. Because they were like, oh, hey, I saw you last night at the thing. I'll check this out. And I was like, oh, cool. So I definitely get it. And I'm not shitting on it. But for me, it's fucking weird. I 100% agree. It's a very weird thing to do. But, you know, it's I, I, like the process or like the, the experience of reading a comic. I, I don't think it translates well to, you know, a reading that well. But it is mm-hmm. cool to just, I guess, hear the writer's voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've only done it once and, and it was terrifying, so I can relate. Yeah, same here. The wrestling I, one? That was so sick, though. Yeah, thanks. You killed it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was, what was that? That was uh, Z Not Dead, I think. I forget which one, but yeah. Oh, were you guys on Netflix? I know Z Not Dead was on Netflix. Were you guys on Netflix? No, no. I'm, they were, that was something else, I think. That was. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. That was an episode of Easy. My friend Maya did the sound mixing for it. Shout Mike out to Centeno. Maya. Maya's so cool, but Mike Centeno sung like a song at <laughs> yeah, the, that's right at the Zena Dead that got on to the, the Netflix show. So yeah. Hell yeah, Mike Centino. He Netflix Mike it. Centino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Next question came from Instagram user Johnny D. Griff. And I guess it's for everybody here. How do you get motivated when you're a few pages in and you don't like the work you did? Well, I was actually kind of, I don't know if I was talking about that on the show or if it was off air, but I just threw out like fucking 15 pages. So yeah. I'm kind of going through that right now. I'm not really like, honestly, like as far as like motivation, it's just that like I this book that I'm going to put out has a publisher and my motivation is is like I can't fuck that up. (laughs) So I've got to come up with something, you know, because it's to me, you know, I like self-publishing. If somebody wants to put your work out, I really think that's just like an opportunity that everybody should jump at if the deal is right. You know, don't fuck yourself over. But, you know, if you can get somebody to handle the legwork of distribution for you, it takes a lot off of, you know, self-publishing and all that. So that's my personal motivation right now is it's just I've got deadlines to meet. So, uh, yeah, it's like I got to get through it. It's like it's like work, you know? Yeah. It, it, it There is like, you know, a creative process behind it. But I just realize I have to do it regardless. Definitely. What about yeah. what about you, Caroline? I, I really love quitting things i think that it's really freeing i i think that if you're staring at something and like you would be wasting your time to keep doing it like just giving up on that story and just moving on to something that you actually want to make a comic about is fine you know like i think that yeah yeah i i there's so many things that i've trashed that like i am glad i didn't put out because if I had, I wouldn't have been happy with it, you know, six months after putting it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what if, if you're I'm, not happy with it anyway? Oh, I mean, that's just going to happen anyways. So. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> that's just, that just part of it. Okay. But, like, if you're working on something and you just, like, need some more motivation to feel, like, like into it, you know, like, you don't want to totally quit it, you know, that kind of thing. Taking a break is really nice if you can. Like, I think that giving the work time to just, like, marinate in your brain makes it better sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Just, like, going outside. (laughs) The only thing that, like, I agree with all of that, but, like, I've taken steps away from projects for so long when I pick up to draw again, it just doesn't look the same. Have you all ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hate it when I fuck myself over like that. But you just do it anyway. I don't know. Like, I've I've only ever thrown away one comic that I worked on. 
Oh yeah, I think that was technically my second comic that I mm-hmm. that I'd done in like 2014, and wow. I was like six or seven pages in. Oh, actually, you know what? I I'm wrong because I did a comic called Brainbuster that I dropped. Uh, yeah, and that never got finished. But that what I mean, the issues that I worked on for the most part were published. It, I don't know. Like I'm I'm definitely of the mindset that if things aren't working, yeah, just scrap the idea. But also, I'm now as I get older and I do this more, I feel like even if I hate the thing as I'm making it, I just do it anyway, just to get it done and just to have it behind me rather than having like this specter of what if and what could have been haunting me. Oh, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like it is, especially in comics, it's so easy to like accidentally spend a lot of time working on something and then be like, oh, I don't like it. And then, like, like I, I guess just, like, making the decision if you're going to scrap something or not, you know? Like, yeah. sometimes you can, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you thought it was going to be 20 pages, and then it's really an eight-page comic. I think that putting out that eight-page comic is more important than feeling, like, sad that it's not 20 or something. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. And this yeah. is the first time I've ever actually thrown anything out. I've always just, like, gotten through it, put it out, and then I just, if it really fucking sucks and I hate it, I won't reprint it. You know, nice. it's, once it's gone, I just bury it, and it never happens. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, this is the first time. Um, yeah, that I've ever thrown anything out. And I just, I don't know what it was about it, but I just was like, I just can't, you know, it just, it, it's not going to work. It's for the B-sides. You know, I just didn't get the right. Yeah, it, it, it just, it wasn't right. You know, it didn't feel right. And it's such a weird process. Like, I can't tell you I didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. Like, it didn't feel strong enough. So I was like, eh, you know, fuck yeah. this. Yeah. You have totally. to be, I mean, you have to be confident enough in your own work to make those types of decisions. So... Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, kind of like Caroline said, quitting things is kind of freeing. Now I'm just like, oh, well, let's just start over and try something else, you know, and I actually feel a lot better because I was trying to make this shit work because I had so much of it done already or, you know, written out and, you know, so forth. And it was just like, uh, let's just not force this. And now I actually feel better Nice that I don't have to work on that thing, even though I'm having to start over. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And you work pretty quickly anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Like Hell if yeah. I threw away I mean, 15 pages, that would that's like a month and a half of work that would just that would drive me insane. <laughs> At that point, I would just finish yeah. it. <laughs> It's well, yeah, and also, you know, our styles are very different. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I'm the less is more type, uh, the work smarter, not harder type. I'm lazy. Mm-hmm, Ramon mm-hmm. loves calling me out for being lazy. Yep. In the group, shout chat. out to Ramon. Yeah, shout out to Ramon for just killing my confidence every day. Yep. <laughs> All right. So for the group, we have a question from Alvistagram. They ask thoughts on agents, solo book distro techniques, approaching small publishers. Caroline, I'll let you take that one first. Like, <laughs> okay. Fuck Mary Kill. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Oh. Fuck Mary Kill. Um, <laughs> agents. <laughs> small publishers and, and solo book, book distribution. distribution. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I feel like you should marry an agent. Um, there you go. Ooh. Fuck a publisher and maybe not murder, but like if I, one had to go, um, maybe a small distro. Yeah. But go, um, ghost a small distro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, ghost, why would yeah, you not ghost, get rid ghosted. of that? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm going to agree with that. I might I might marry the publisher Fair. and fuck the agent. But yeah, the, the solo publishing has to go. No, but as far as thoughts on it, <laughs> I guess you kind of talked earlier about, you know, how Girl in the World came to be with Silver Sprocket. You know, you were just kind of asked to pitch there. It was really haphazard in relation to how I know other people get published from publishers Mm -hmm. it felt more like working with my friends rather than something as terrifying as 
sending an email to like fanographics you know but yeah. it was it was yeah. still very professional and it was you know it was a thing but was, i mean it was also in person i feel like a lot yeah. of those interactions with the larger publishers are so kind of far removed from like a personal interaction so yeah right. and they probably I, I see feel your like, work online and yeah yeah you. yeah I'm really grateful for working with Sprocket because, well, they're they're very great as an entity, but they're very transparent about finances. And I feel like there is the trap of like the notorious, you know, small presses that kind of try and keep money talk away from the artists who they're working with, kind of, you know? So my thoughts on that are just going forward to always bring up money. I know that's really boring, but like trying to make them be transparent with you feels important but there are so many cool publishers that are putting out so much just like really interesting work and i feel like every couple of years there's like a new small press that's like so hot and i'm like wow you know what i mean like i feel like there's so many good ones um (laughs) so like there's like there's like the scary thing of like are these people gonna fuck me over you know but there are so many ones that don't apparently you know through the grapevine it sounds like there are a lot of really nice ones to work with yeah but i'm going off on a tangent but um i book distributors are great you know they really do a lot i haven't personally worked with a ton of them but i i bought a lot of books from a lot of them that i wouldn't have been able to like find on my own kind of thing so Mm -hmm. i i really there's this one on Instagram. I think it's Wig Shop. Yeah, the Wig Shop web shop. Yeah, they always carry yeah. such good stuff. And I, I feel sure. like it's like a fun little shopping cart moment. Yeah, definitely. That's a really well curated, like, I guess, inventory is what you would call it. Yeah, definitely. And then as far as agents go, I don't have an agent right now. I, I talked to one on the phone recently. And she was really cool, and maybe we'll work together. And she gave me a lot of insight about publishing that I feel like I wouldn't have known if I hadn't talked to an agent, you know, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I feel like, especially if you find an agent that you like, I feel like that's always good, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm really bad at emailing, and I'm really bad at sort of knowing how to talk to presses and to publishers and getting work out. So I feel like having an agent would be a way to broker those deals for you, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. All like long story short, like agents in theory sound really great. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't have that much experience though. Yeah. But sorry. Yeah, I've never even thought about getting an agent just because I'm not at that point in comics. And also, I think any kind of reputation that I have is torched from this show. So I don't think any <laughs> agents will want to work for me. That's true. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Good point. Didn't think about so, that. So no, no. But in all seriousness, no solo book distribution like techniques, like thoughts on it. Honestly, I mean, I, I just personally have one day a week that I go to the post office I don't really. And also, like, I'm one of those people that, like, I don't really keep things in print. So once it's gone, it's gone. So, like, I'll yeah. go to the post office a lot when I drop a book. But once I'm out of copies, you know, I'm, I'm not going to the post office again until I have something else to ship out. So it kind of comes in waves. I know, like, JB, you do the whole, like, stamps thing and keep that shit active throughout the year. I don't do that just because, like I said, there might be two or three months a year where I'm actively going to the post office. So I'm just going in there with stacks of envelopes and just pissing off the postal workers. But, you know, yeah. I don't really have any, like, advice or anything on that. Me, personally, I besides the stuff that gets ordered that I have to send out, I do a lot of trading, you know, or send out yeah. Yeah. stuff as gifts to friends. I, I mean, I just keep the stamps account, which is tied to, like, this thing I have called uh, ShipStation, I think is what it's called. And 
it it makes it easier for me and the postal workers, but it's also really convenient because I can just pack up a bunch of packages in like a night and then just drop them off the next day without having to wait in line because they're already paid for. So I just go up to the desk, hand them over and then walk out. Uh, And the less time in that post office, especially right now with the pandemic, the better. Mm -hmm. It's also because you get a discount on shipping rates, which I think is going to be more important as prices probably go up over the holidays. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what you as a creator or whatever are looking to do. So like Mm -hmm. if you see yourself making a lot of work and sending out a lot of stuff either through orders or I'd imagine mostly through exchanges, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt to have a stamps account. It's really convenient. It's super easy. We're not getting paid to tell you that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Pay a stamp. They should sponsor you. We should. I mean, at this point, we're a podcast. I'm surprised we're we're not doing stamps readings yet, so- Soon. That's right. We'll, ne- the, we'll, maybe uh, next yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Maybe after yeah. our blue chew yeah. deal goes through. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> one, wait, one more thing about like solo comic distribution. Cause I was just kind of thinking about it on the realms of like, like the middlemen, like the people who aren't necessarily like stores who sell it and like that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I feel like especially something that has made me really happy and a big part of comics that's. I really, really liked is like trading comics, especially at shows or like with internet friends or whoever. Like, I feel like it's so fun and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't just like printing whatever on like whatever, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as far as like the uh, follow up to that question was approaching small publishers and my personal experience with that, I haven't really pitched like I didn't like I've never had a book and like went around and pitched anybody. If I've worked with a publisher, whether it was for an anthology or, you know, a magazine, you know, spot illustration or for a book, it's always been because I've been asked to do it. So it's not that I don't feel like my work is not strong enough to pitch. It's just, I'm in so much control when I self-publish. You usually get a lot more money if you self-publish, to be honest, yeah. but you also have more work to do if you self-publish. Definitely. So that's the trade-off. You know, you might make more money, but you're going to spend your labor packing up, you know, all your orders and, you know, going to the post office and so forth. So, but as far as approaching publishers, it's nothing I've ever done. It's always just kind of fallen into my lap. People have seen my work and they're like, oh, or, you know, with really easy, they published JB and, you know, Eric's just super cool and was like, hey, we should link up and do something sometime. And I was like, yeah, let's do something. And, you know, it usually has always kind of just come together like that. Yeah, for me. I, I feel like those interactions happen organically and it's not from you just sending out a bunch of DMs and emails to different publishers being like, hey, can you publish this, please? It yeah. just doesn't work yeah. that way. If anything, it, it, maybe in like the 90s before the Internet. Sure. You know, yeah. You're like writing you're them letters get, or whatever. But yeah, nowadays you're going to get found by a publisher. Yeah. Is pretty and much how that's going to happen. They're not going to read that email, by the way. They're, they are absolutely no. not going to read your email asking them to your, publish you. your email is in the junk folder yeah, absolutely. yeah they probably set up a special email like i know drawn and quarterly like i went to their website and i was looking around it one day because they were hiring recently for like somebody at the office or whatever and i was just looking at it and they uh i looked at it too <laughs> was it a spell yeah, checker well, I mean, hey. <laughs> they fucking need one yeah but <laughs> they they had posted like uh we are no longer taking submissions but if you would really like you could mail them here uh we're probably not gonna ever you'll probably never get it back Straight meaning it's probably incinerator. just gonna get thrown into the trash yeah. Yeah. So it's a nice way of saying don't send a shit. Yeah. 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 
I mean, you could, I guess, keep like an eye open. There are like, I'll see stuff online that's like, hey, we're looking for submissions for, you know, this type of content. So, you know, you could always approach small publishers that way. But I mean, I feel like if you're a publisher that's farming like general, you know, submissions, you probably don't have much direction in your project. And you don't have much of a budget either, probably. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, like I don't know, I, the, the whole submissions thing. No, is you're, like yeah. I mean, in my completely, yeah, it seems like stupid in my opinion. Yeah. Like because like it, the thing is, is if you had a budget, you wouldn't be openly asking for submissions because you could go after the people that you wanted and be like, hey, I've got this much money. Could you do a story for this? You know, yeah. like, right? Yeah. Uh, last question. I'm not going to be able to add any input to this, but friend of the show, Josh Pettinger, Goiter Comics, asked, "Can Chicago ever be cool again, or will it remain a yuppie hellscape forever?" What's up, Josh? Shout out to Josh. Hey, Josh. <laughs> Alright, mate. What's up, then? <laughs> oh, uh, oh, uh, sorry, that's um, my best English accent that I could muster. How is he? Is he yeah. English? Yeah, he is. He's from uh, uh, the Isle of Wales. Is that where you said he was from? Isle of Wales. Yeah. Is where he's from. Yeah. yeah. Pack, <laughs> pack of, pack of uh, muffins from the garage. Anyway, um, to answer that question, Josh, I mean, I know what you're referring to. Like, Wicker Park. We all know what you're referring to, you know? Wrigleyville. (laughs) Yeah, just like the worst parts of the city that, for some reason, the city planners and most of the politicians that run the local government are hell-bent on making every other neighborhood like those neighborhoods. But I feel like that's the case with most cities. And now, even, you're seeing that in the suburbs, too. Or, or, you know, smaller cities. But... uh, I don't know. Will it always be a yuppie hellscape? Will capitalism continue to ruin people's lives? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I would say probably. (laughs) But there are great things about Chicago that aren't, you know, yuppie bullshit, just like any other city, too. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, going back to this is a question that we didn't read, but I guess I could kind of tie it back uh we had a question from simple dolt has there been any type of decent punk scene in chicago lately yeah i mean you're always gonna have like pockets of stuff that isn't just catered to i don't know people from aurora or wherever the fuck <laughs> these people come from i, I don't know yeah. i really don't know um decalb right isn't that where all the punks are maybe i don't know i mean i don't know i think chicago has a pretty good punk scene Obviously, you can't really realistically run basement shows right now because of COVID, but, you know, there's always been an active punk scene here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so much, like, glamorization of specifically, like, the Wicker Park area in the 90s from people. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. And that's... A lot of Gen Xers. A lot of Gen Xers who have, like, one earring and they're like, ugh. Back in the day. Back in the day, I watched Smashing Pumpkins in, in a bathroom. Yeah. It's like, no, like, no one wow. cares. It's like, <laughs> I, I always have to break it to them that I, like, wasn't born yet, you know? So it's... Yeah. It's like, I don't actually want to hear you talk about this. <laughs> but unless I ask. Like, sometimes it's, it's like, nice to hear about. But... Yeah, yeah. You know, specifically, like, people who are like, ugh, punk is dead. Or like, ugh, back when real comics were being made. And it's like, what does any of that mean to you? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Like... Yeah. Can you use words that make sense? But, yeah. I don't know. I like Chicago a lot. Parts yeah. of Chicago I never want to step foot in. You know, like, I'm, sure. I'm not trying to go to the loop. I really don't want to be around with, like, low, like, um, like Lincoln Square area. I don't, I would, I, I, I'm trying to avoid ever seeing a Cubs hat, you know, 
Yeah, but that's that's good. <laughs> I don't know. I like Chicago. It's very it's very like homey to me. It's like it feels good. It's I always know where I am. It's that type of thing. Yeah, it's my favorite city to visit. I go there a lot. Um, I've been there a lot over the past decade, and uh, I love it. I I can't really chime in just because I don't live there. But, you can I mean, chime in. It's it's I've your never podcast. Had a bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, but I mean, like, I don't live there, so I can't be like, well, this neighborhood sucks. Like, you know, everything that I've done in Chicago has been because somebody else took me yeah. to do it. You know, like, I always just like, hey, you know, so, um, but everything that I've done, it's, I've had nice experiences there. I love the city. If I had to move to a city, I think it would be Chicago, but, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a great city. I love it here. It's just, I mean, there, <laughs> there's definitely things about the city that I hate. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. hate. But I'm sure I could say the same about any other city if I were to move. So. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, you know, if we can uh, round up all the police unions and then throw them into the lake, I think that would improve the city by about 60 to 70 percent. I that would be really nice. It's like the lake is so poisonous that like they really wouldn't last long. You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It'd be a quick... <laughs> Is the water fucked up there? Yeah. Okay. It'd be a okay. fairly painless death. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, uh, same with Lightfoot. If she wants to go and chase after that police union as they plummet into the depths of, of the lake, hey, go for it. The story about Rob Emanuel, he actually had to get a finger amputated because he had a cut on his finger and then he jumped into the lake and then got the lake water in the finger and it got so infected oh, that he had to get his finger <laughs> amputated. So, like, there's a history of the lake fighting back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Lake yeah. bacteria, they are part of Antifa. And, you know, I um, <laughs> just told that story really confidently on air, but it is something that was just told to me and then I believed it without doing any fact checking. So, um, I, I hope that it's... It's the truth because love that. That sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. I feel like that should be the truth. So we're just going to go with it. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. And also fuck Rom. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. All righty. So that about does it for this episode of Gutter Boys. Before we go, though, Caroline, where can people find you online? Where can they check yourself out at? I don't really have a website, but I do have an Instagram because I'm just lazy like that. So my, my handle is cash underscore browns. It's, it's like a joke about hash browns. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's really you. deep, Thank you, for you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And your book, uh, Girl in the World, is still available from, from Silver Sprocket? Yes, definitely. It's on their website. It's... It's like 10 bucks. It's pretty simple. There's also, um, if you just want to read it, I know nobody has money right now. There's also just like a full PDF of it on their website if you just like want to read it, you know. Well, and I will say this. I was actually able to get my copy through my comic store. So you can get it through Diamond as well. Yeah, Silver Diamond Sprocket does has distribute it. Yeah. So you can go to your local store and just say, hey, I want Girl in the World by Caroline Cash. I did that and I got it the week it came out. Dude. Hell and it's yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, it's cool to order from publishers. I like doing that. But like if one of my friends or, you know, someone I know puts out a book that I can actually get at like my brick and mortar comic store, I'm always going to pick that route because then I can support my local store as well as yeah. my friend, you know, so. That way yeah. everybody gets a piece of it, you know, it's like and then, you know, if you order something, then like a store might order it. It's it all yeah. feeds off itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, well, that does it for this chilling episode of Gutter Boys. Actually, this episode was pretty straightforward. Don't worry, I'll add it, uh, some <laughs> spooky uh, effects in in editing and post. You know, to kind of yeah, yeah you know, pepper it up, make it a little more seasonal. 
Can you add like the different sounds from Scooby Doo? Oh, like the the jumbly Ooh. sound when they're like running the, in in the place, little squeaking the running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go, like that. Yeah. Love it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. You can find us online. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you gotta plug all that shit. Yeah. All right, so we can you we you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Morecrim Jr. Cam is at Cam Del Rosario. We're also uh, the, the Gutter Boys Pod accounts at Gutter Boys Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and we're almost to 500 followers, which is crazy because yeah. we haven't been on Instagram that long. If you can uh, get in in the first 500, we're going to give you guys like a nickname, like uh, I don't know what, the Hard Dick 500. That's good. I like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, I don't know. Um, anyways, no, you can find us online uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Gutter Boys Pod. Feel free to send questions or comments for the show there. Rate and review our show on iTunes and your preferred podcast platform as well. Yeah, and we do want to thank Caroline Cash again for coming by. You should definitely give them a follow because uh, their next book that comes out is going to be really good. I haven't seen too much of it, but I can confidently say that. Did we talk about the date nice. for when that drops or no? No. I hope it comes out before January. Like, I hope I'm done with it kind of before then. That's kind of the timeline. I think I think I'll be done with it, like, end of November, early December type thing. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So be on the lookout for In the Woods. Yes. And until then, you should definitely go pick up Girl in the World from your local shop or from Silver Sprocket directly. Future book of 2021. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and call it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just calling it right now. Hell yeah. Yep, gonna kill yeah, it. So, yeah, they're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hell yeah. So thanks again for tuning in, and uh, yeah, stay gutter, y'all. Stop and say all right. Love is kind of crazy with a spooky little boy like you. You always keep me guessing. Thank you.